Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CDH. I am one of your hosts, Reed, aka Sick Robot, and today I'm joined by my co-host Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going, everyone? And our very special guest, Nick, aka Joking 101. Why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> hey, uh, uh, my name is Nick, otherwise known as Joking 101, and I'm super excited to be here. Great. Uh, Nick is sort of dampling himself. Nick is a pretty huge TO <laughs> in the uh, CDH scene, uh, the main cog in the wheel that is uh, Monarch Events. Um, and that's very apt because today we're going to be talking about the tournament structure of CDH events. Might sound boring. I can assure you it's not. There's a lot of depth here. And if you've ever had any amount of interest in either running a local event or getting involved in online events at all, um, this is probably going to be a pretty huge info dump, so you should uh, keep on listening. Um, but before we get into that, uh, anybody have any uh, interesting stuff they've been up to recently? Not not especially on my end. I, no. Uh, no. I'll I say, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I went. In, I went in top four to play Max three, so that was cool. It's my first top four. At a, oh at right, a CDH you did. Tournament. Good yeah, stuff. You're playing a Timnarog, right? Yeah, that's correct. I think uh, Razaketh is a really good magic card, <laughs> and I, I I don't think I won a single game with Razaketh, but it was in the deck, and that part was cool. <laughs> I was I was about to say I'm not really seeing a huge relation between Tim the Rog and Razaketh aside from just the fact that you can play Razaketh in that deck. But well, it's a I, it's you a are allowed to do that. Yes. It's a it's a two mana A plus B. You know, like land like if you're gonna yep. land, you know, as if you're gonna you know Oracle Consult, you could. It's much easier to just Dark Ritual and Tomb Reanimate and win immediately off of that. Wait, why is it easier? Because Rog. The Rog Razaketh line is cast Rog, sac I mean, Rog. You need a dark ritual. <laughs> exactly. You need, you need the acceleration. Come on. You don't need any blue mana. It's not just blue, black, blue mana black. is so you hard need to get. The dark ritual. <laughs> yeah. But you can like you can get black black from a from a lotus petal or a, or a other other cards, you know, Cole in the Week. Can we play them? There's <laughs> options. You know. Undead Spirit Guide. Yeah, when please please uh, give it to me just no <laughs> please no no we not we have zero not need ever. for that one <laughs> i i want um, it. i actually i just actually just received my uh my pimped out um ssbm controller today super nice. happy it's a uh it's got hall effect sensors and uh clickety clackety uh tactile key switches for all the buttons it's fancy pretty hot I'm uh, looking forward to abusing the shit out of it. <laughs> um, but without further ado on that, uh, we're just going to quickly jump into housekeeping, of which there is nothing, but we do have some new developments uh, slash things that we want to shout out to you guys. Uh, primarily, the fact that Tier 1 Con is coming up real soon. Um, by the time that we release this episode, it's probably either uh, less than a week to uh, maybe up to a week away. Um, so if you're listening and that hasn't yet come to pass, you should definitely mark it on your calendar and go check it out when that happens. Uh, it's going to be on the week end of the 6th and 7th, and uh, it'll be streamed, correct? As far as I'm aware. Okay. 
Uh, do you know what channel that's going on, or do we have to wait until we can chill that somewhere else? <laughs> I think that uh, if we're doing this... Presumably it'll be on the... Yeah, I think that's the probably twitch.tv forward slash tier1mtg is my bet. Cool. Yes, um, that's it. So, yeah, mark that one on your calendars. Make sure to go check that out, follow, and uh, yeah, because you'll be able to see all of us on this podcast over there uh, when that's happening. So Very check true. It out. That's going to um, be sweet. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a great time. Uh, we, we've said this every episode um, since we sort of got the announcement, but like literally the entire the entire podcast was super psyched to be there last year it was like uh just an awesome trip all around just fantastic uh would recommend highly um to anybody who wants to go check it out uh so yeah. please do yeah europe's a pretty europe's a pretty cool continent honestly <laughs> you know it's good good solid like a minus tier like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. southern yeah. ontario in terms of tier lists but I'm, yeah I'm yeah over. yeah <laughs> Uh, seriously, like Copenhagen though, like actually just like S plus tier city. It's a bit, yeah, very very uh, cool city. Oh, that city. Um, and then aside from that, uh, March has is also going to be running Oktoberfest, Oktoberfest, Oktoberfest. Uh, one of the two. Um, which is going to be coming up in October. Uh, what? No, 13th? it's in 12th? it's in November. No, later. Yeah, because Wizards scheduled. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Wizards decided they wanted yeah, to schedule yeah, their yeah. thirty-year anniversary the same weekend as us, so we moved ours. I don't, right. I don't think they were going to. So, <laughs> how nice of them! You, you, yeah, even was... if you asked like really nicely, they wouldn't. <laughs> we th we thought about asking really nicely, but we just decided we were going to move the entire, uh, you know, just you know, just move the contract and the new space that we got for the. I mean, it's the same hotel, but the new space, um, this is November eighteenth through the twentieth, is actually seven hundred fifty square feet larger for almost the same price so we got even more space with which to see all of the beautiful people and accommodate nice uh and if you're interested in going to that that's going to be in um well maybe not in philadelphia but right it outside is, of philadelphia it is in downtown um, philadelphia it is in downtown okay there you go right yeah. there um uh, if you're interested in checking it out uh, you can go to monarch's website at uh, monarch.cards monarch monarch oh i got it i got it i got it nice, got it. that's nice. mod like a steel trap right in there um <laughs> yeah so you can go you can go pick up uh you can go pick up tickets for that um probably by the time we get this out uh they do have an early patrons only um ticket sale so if you are a patron of monarch definitely i don't know why i have to tell you to go buy tickets don't over but go do that uh and if you're not i'll, then keep I'll your do eye it up for uh, when they open up public tickets ticket sales <laughs> yeah tickets um, tickets will open but, soon and we got tons of space we got it'll be room for up to oh, i think at least 250 and potentially more so we've got we've got the space for as many folks as want to attend nice um so with that all wrapped up uh i think uh we're good to get into our main topic um which is again we're gonna be talking about tournament structure um all the nitty-gritty of sort of uh running cdh events in general um it's it's I I do think this is a pretty interesting topic as much as it might sound incredibly dry to people who listen to this podcast for 
I don't know, really intense discussions about single card slots and decks and actually like play patterns and games. But I think like the meta meta discussion around this uh, for tournaments is actually very interesting because it's not a solved thing at this point. Um, I I feel like a lot of esports or I, I'll, I'll classify like CDH as sort of an esport. Um, I feel like a lot of esports sort of solidify their tournament structures within like a couple of years of sort of having uh like the initial inkling of a competitive scene for the most part. Like you'll you'll they'll typically tend to centralize around like yeah you'll like you end up with like a, a double elimination bracket with like pools on day one or whatever like stuff like that. CDH not so much. I mean we sort of have a lot of the like traditional just like how you run cdh events but people are still experimenting with formats all over so i, I think there's there's a lot of stuff to be talked about here well um, you know you know in our defense uh starcraft 2 wings of liberty came out in 2010 and the main starcraft tournament gsl unveiled a new tournament format this year in 2022 <laughs> so we're not the worst for wow i didn't <laughs> even know amazing. that amazing <laughs> uh yeah I yeah mean, the so only i guess thing, we'll um the one thing that i would say with that is that we're still like, even within the context of still testing new tournament structures we're still finding problems with them right like that's i think the biggest thing yeah. that i have <laughs> is that i look at i i have not seen a single tournament ran where i was like yep that's perfect there were no issues like there are still structural issues with with the tournaments that we run so it's just sort of a testament to the depth of of just even the tournament structure itself with regards to this format. Yeah, definitely. Um, actually thinking uh, we can probably hop in um, first here, sort of like at the base, base, like the sort of the core of like how you actually need to run a tournament for them, which is probably like the most complex actual running of the tournament, but it's also like possibly like the most important thing to actually have right, which is just for day one uh, of tournament or initial rounds of tournament however you want to structure it if it's like a one-day tournament stuff like that um just the, because i think there's like pre-playoffs yes the open, the open rounds yeah the, the open, open bracket, rounds or like whatever that. it is um or open bracket sure because there are a lot of ways to run it i mean again um if you don't know what cdh is i guess and you're listening um four player four player free-for-all formats are really rough to run um even like even large uh, like free for all games like a lot of battle royales are have are like st are, are like still having problems with tournament structures and like incentives and how you actually like get like decent results out of like the like the people who are playing well should win a larger percentage of the time than the people who are not playing well like right a bunch of games are like huge huge games with tons of money behind them are still struggling with this issue and it actually gets like amplified a lot more when you get down to like the like lower number of players in games like it's it's almost like cdh was designed or edh in general was designed to be as difficult to run tournaments for as possible yes i know it was designed as a casual it was designed as a casual format yes but like i'm not sure that you could come up with a game that's harder to run tournaments for like if you actively tried in magic unless it was literally just like I don't know, like, everybody has to flip coins and then guess what everybody else, like, flipped and then, like, play cards based on whatever. Like, it's just so insanely difficult to figure that I, stuff out, so... I do like how immediately <laughs> your first your first thought of how to make a tournament harder to run is to add coins. I wonder if that's... 
you know, I wonder if there's anything to be said there about about. <laughs> oh, let's not let's not go there. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna steer clear of that one. <laughs> Just sidestep that bullet real quick. Um, but yeah, it's like it, you know, but like really, it's like it's like CDH is almost like in this hell zone where like two player free for all. Great, that's just one v one. Incredibly easy to run tournaments for. Once you get up to like a hundred people, like yeah, you just everybody sort of accepts that the variance is there, and then you're just like yeah, like I, I'm just gonna play my best. You're having so few interactions with other people that like it just doesn't really matter. You just have to accept the luck of the draw. Four four players specifically is just like super awkward. Potentially like the only worst number would be three players. I think the one the one yeah, benefit of doing smaller pods is that you have fewer repeat opponents so mm. like in theory 10 players would be horrible because how are you supposed to have you know you're going to play against the same people all the time right I, I think with 10 players though at that point you just get to a point where you it, it, it might just be correct with like more than that many players that you just like take the top person from a bunch of these pods shuffle them into like new pods and let everybody else play each other again and it's just like keep doing right. it that way but well yeah. I, I think i think like it, 10 players could actually be easier in a game that wasn't like cedh like the the variance in right. cedh is so high that like a, a 10 player pod you know there's a decent chance that like like it's literally not unrealistic that you just lose before you get a turn like not yeah, it'll yeah. happen all the time but even if that happens like one in a hundred games in your tournament like that's you know that ter that game was useless for determining like if a given player was good or not um yep. so if you like w when you have 10 people in a lower variance environment it actually does start to, like more people does start to decrease the variance to an extent like then you know um like in in a four-player environment it's still easy to like target people or yeah. uh or you know have like one you know like have a bunch of sort of factors that correct it or ha you know focus on the person who played well early and got ahead but like when there's a hundred people you just sort of can't keep track of what everyone else is doing um and, and it's hard to like coordinate that, an effort against somebody and also like single players making mistakes in a hundred player are like less likely to make it so that like everybody loses right yeah, True. well, or just, like, most games aren't as inherently unstable as CEDH games where yeah. minor mistakes mean that everyone loses, which is another problem. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, we'll the power level we'll, we'll get around to. Yeah, the power level is just so high that it has, I mean, sing, you know, single or small things, and, you know, the, the other issue, of course, is the best of one nature, right? You have the fewest conceivable number of games you could use to gather information, so small influences on individual games represents a significant amount of the data that you have for a given game within a given tournament well so let's let's actually talk about that real quick because i think like it's it's good to get it all out there for the audience so very simple question why is cdh run is in best of one sets in a tournament because that is the way that it is run You'll, I don't think you'll ever find a CDH tournament, like, everywhere, anywhere, that runs not in best-of-one rounds, rather, I guess, rather than matches, um, in terms of, like, every every round is going to be, if you're in a pod in that round, you get one game to make it, and then the person that wins that game gets the points for that round, and then you move on to the next round. I mean, 
the crux of the issue is just that a single game of 1v1 magic is less than a third of the time of a single game of four-way free-for-all magic. Like, it's entirely the yeah. duration of the game. <laughs> and this is sort of the other issue with CDH. Um, things just take a long time to, to do when, uh, when everybody has to have input on every game action. Obviously, that's not how games play out, um, but just the fact that in two-player, you have two people taking actions, and typically only one person has to acknowledge that the action, like, resolves before they, uh, before you continue doing stuff. In CDH, you have four players taking actions, and all of them have to say, yes, I, I want this to resolve, we can move on. Yeah, exactly. And, and, let's be honest, the actions are also a lot simpler, because you're only weighing how bad a card is for you. Like, if you, if you have yep. something to do about it, you could be like, how bad is it for me if I let this happen? Oh, it's it's not that bad? Okay, cool. Versus, like, in <laughs> in CDH, you have to be like, okay, but is it worse for the other person than it is for me? And if it is, then, you know, does that mean that I, I let it happen, or is it still too bad for me, or et cetera, et cetera? The, the games so, are just yeah, so that, complex. Yeah, they take a, and the best part is it's not even just that they take a super long time. It's they take a super long time, except then sometimes they also don't. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that. Like, yeah, I don't, that's... I don't think there's another. I don't think there's another competitive game where like you could sit down and and like if there were no time limits quite reasonably play a five minute game or quite reasonably play like a, a hour and five minute game let alone a two hour game yeah i i i also like i have no doubt that if tournaments were uncapped we would have multiple tournaments at this point where like the rounds had gone past three hours we um, had that happen at um Oko last year, did we not? I think we had a game that went three hours in on, on time. I don't think any of them were three hours, but there were three... One of the the tails of the tree had, like, the, the quarterfinal and semifinal games were both, like, around two and a half hours. Yeah. And as that's was a, the final. Yeah, that's a five... That's five hours for two games of Magic, which is... That 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 rate is prohibitive in the vast majority I mean, of situations. That's fine if you're playing EDH at F and M and you started at like is I don't it? know, like <laughs> Is that uh, even fine? Six and then your LGS is open until like eleven thirty because it's a Friday and you get, and and you get the two people games hate each in. other and you get two games in. I would be happy about that, but that's like you're, mean, you're still like okay with it, I think. If they're good <laughs> games, it's fine, right? Like if it's two and a yeah. half hours of engaging magic, it doesn't matter. It's very hard said, for there to be two and a half hours of engaging magic, but you know. Yeah, also, a two-and-a-half game of CDH is very likely to have at least two people in that pod not actually playing Magic for, like, probably at least an hour of that game. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's it's very difficult for, in a long game of CDH, every player involved to actually be, like, actually playing the game by the end of it. Um, but yeah, and actually, this is, this is good. I think we'll actually just get into this topic just now, because we're already on it already. Um... Talking about the round timers in tournaments, uh, because this is pretty huge. Um, 
you obviously need to restrict the amount of time that the games take because, as we just discussed, they take a lot of time to finish if you don't cap them. Um, which means that you have to figure out how to actually cap them. Um, I, I feel like this is actually one of the, uh, just round timers in general, is sort of one of the places that we're seeing still, like, the most experimentation in terms of people are just, like, people are the most willing to change round timers probably out of, like, most tournament structures at this point, um, yeah. at least observationally. I mean, I definitely have seen multiple different round timers across tournaments that are of re a reasonable size in the past year, right? Some of these things are... You know, some of the things that we'll discuss are pretty standard. You don't really see anybody deviating from them. Round timers, that's not one of them. People people are very comfortable moving this stuff around. And the debate between 75 and 90 has been going back and forth for a while. I think that very few people are arguing for more than 90 minutes and fewer than 75 minutes. Um, but I could see an argument for either of the two. But I think 75 and 90 are the two main ones uh, that I've seen, at least in major events over the past year. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I think in the past I've seen people suggesting different ones, but I think definitely we've sort of, maybe not consensus, but, but something, something kind of like consensus is, okay, yeah, uh, like more than 90 is too long and less than 75 is probably too short. I think, uh, it's also interesting because I think one of the biggest, I think mostly now, or I see 75 most often now. And I think uh, one of the things that actually prompted that was uh, the Time Twisted Tournament 2, where the rounds took, like, literally forever. Um, but they And they did 90 minutes and two full cycles of turns. And people went, okay, that's way too long. And then I think, I think like, they generally switched to 75 and 1. Um, but, like, it would have been interesting to... I, I don't know how many 90-minute and one-cycle uh, tournaments we've seen, but I'd be interested or to even see... like, 75 and 2, um, playing like I, that a bit. I, I, like, 15 minutes is probably, like, not enough to add the extra round on, but... I would be inclined to look, if we wanted to add a second... So... There's an interesting philosophical thing here when we're talking about turns, right? Quantity of turns. The intention of turns in 60, you know, 60 minute rounds is for the match to end. That you have played, you know, some number of games thus far and you are in your usually your second or third game and we need to, to end the game. It's going to be it. you have to end it. This is the way to do it. Um, if you are using turns as a timing mechanism, right like you're adding the second round of turns in because you want to increase the length of a game but to prescribe it in some way right to prescribe the exact quantity of magic that will be played um that's a little bit of a departure from the current philosophy of turns that that isn't to say you can't do it but i think it's interesting to explore that as something that like that's not originally what it was meant to serve or the purpose that it was meant to serve um and the one the one piece i'd add on to that as a corollary is that if we are willing to quantify some you know, amount of magic that is left in the game. What's to stop us from setting an amount of magic to be played in total, right? What if instead of time we used turns and after 15 turns, your game is over no matter what's happened as an alternative to time itself? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that fifth... See, like, 
I, I was like, that's an interesting idea. And then you said 15 turns, and I was like, all right, tournaments are going to, like, rounds are going to take five hours. <laughs> yep. All right, cool. Well, um, I mean, I don't know. I'm yeah, just, it, I'm, I just didn't want to, like, cut off stack stacks who are trying to kill people four damage at a time, you know? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely, like, I, I think you're, you're sort of, you're touching on an, an interesting point, which, you know, I think often doesn't, like, get brought up in the discourse around tournament structures, which is that, like, ideally there would be no round timers right yep. and games would just conclude in a timely manner and yep <laughs> we can't have events taking like literal weeks so there has to be a round timer um and so like yeah how do you pick a round timer that allows for a reasonable tournament structure that that like has the minimal interference on how games naturally play out it's definitely uh, you know, a tough a tough balance to walk. And I think I like I agree or I maybe you didn't maybe you weren't even necessarily making this point, but uh I certainly see kind of an issue with like the more turns you have that does feel uh it starts to feel prescriptive rather than than descriptive. Like I'm not in favor I wouldn't think I would be in favor of in general shortening the shortening the time and adding more turns um it also yeah, it's like go ahead no go for it no no go for it um the the one the one sort of departure from this philosophy is if you're willing to discuss being more prescriptive with certain components of rounds right i think when we talk about the, the need of a time limit, right? The need to end the game in some capacity. Um, there's this really crazy idea that uh, I think that the CDH community is a little bit too harsh towards um, because it feels that it isn't CDH. Um, and that is using life totals after time runs out. I have very much warmed up to this idea that you should use life totals after time runs out because it gives within the context of the rules structure, intention to certain decks, right? It gives decks that intend to win via combat damage eventually the knowledge that they only need to get to a specific point where they have the most life or, you know, that their opponents have the least life and then the game can end. So you could say do 60 minute rounds with one turn cycle because really the only decks that are trying to win after an hour are ones that are trying to win with life total now argue whether or not that's true but the point the point is that there's this additional idea that we could change the structure of the tournament change the structure of how some decks are composed um and address this tournament structure with this with this alternative idea um without having you know compromising some of what the decks are trying to do which i think is interesting i, I think there's i think there's interesting stuff there i don't think life total as a run number is probably the way to go just because of some of the perverse incentives that you end up with there in terms yeah. of like um i'm not gonna kill those person that i need dead because we're probably gonna go to a draw so i'm just gonna hit this person that i have no chance of killing but i need them to be at a lower life total than i am yeah um uh that like that kind of stuff um i think an interesting one if it didn't require um or at least for like if if a digital platform could track this automatically um i think it would work really well but uh just something like most damage done um as a player rather than life total mm. so 
like I've I've dealt forty points of damage this game. The next person in line has dealt twenty five points of damage. I win, um, because I produce the most damage, and that doesn't actually introduce that many perverse incentives in terms of like you don't care what type of damage you're doing, who the damage is going to, aside from yourself. You're just like dealing damage. Um, the issue is the tracking of that, right? Yeah, I, I think I think the the other the other issue with resolving draws with with another mechanic is just i mean first of all you you a you unintentionally reward some decks b you're going to see people designing their decks to take advantage of that which i think is not what like we don't want people to be building their decks to go to time why like that why yeah i mean what's the what is the problem with having people designing their decks to win after the round goes to time like outside of having more draws by design, but that like those decks are already going to time anyways, right? I don't think that we're going to see many decks who are just like, oh, time for me to start slow playing. Like, I just don't think that that's a particularly realistic outcome for the. Uh, okay, so uh, number one, I I do. I mean, maybe I wouldn't necessarily slow play is obviously like a a, a term that I'm leery of using because it has a sure. very specific meaning. But uh, no, I, I absolutely I. I do think we would see decks intending to drag out games. And I think it also creates like, and maybe this is fine from a TO perspective, but as a player, um, there being, there's, there's an inflection point where you stop playing for one win con and start playing for another. And I think that has the potential to create like a, a, an unenjoyable gameplay experience um mm. when you know you you essentially you get outvoted on when that switch happens um like okay we all sort of understand what we're playing for until you know some number of people with some amount of resources decide okay no we're no longer playing for that we're now playing for this other incentive people completely change their behaviors um and and it just creates uh, kind of a like I, I, no, I, I, think I hear what I, you're saying. Like, I'm, my my question would be like, does that happen? Doesn't that currently happen with games going to draws, where there's a point in time where people stop playing to win and start playing to draw? Yeah, but the difference is you end with a draw, which like gives some measure of consolation. I would say. <clears throat> sure. Like, like, so what, what I'm saying is like, okay, I'm, I'm massively ahead. Like I'm, you know, I have way more cards than everyone else or something, but like, I'm, you know, I can, I can control this game effectively, but I'm pretty, you know, stacked out or my win con's been exiled or, or something like that. Um, and then there's like a certain point where, you know, everyone in the game says, oh, well, we're no longer playing the game that you're winning. We're now playing this different game. Um, sure. And, and like, you know, sucks to be you. And I that makes think sense. that that is like, I don't, I don't necessarily have something that I'm saying that I can say like is objectively wrong about that. It's not inherently unfair. I just, it sounds like a shitty experience. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, that's I, pretty fair. 
definitely definitely agree in terms of uh i i think i think introducing alternate win conditions is a uh, is a bit it it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tough one uh, to come to terms with especially if it's again yeah out of line with uh the goals of <laughs> the actual game um but yeah in terms of actually getting to time um i think we should get on to talking about um uh the actual like tournament structures of getting there in the first place we'll get back to uh I guess going pre pre top cut, it's it's really hard to describe the sections of a tournament generally without like specifically just, uh, referring to a given format. Um, you could just do group stage and playoff stage. Yeah, yeah, sure, groups and playoffs. But um, it's just like not a group stage. Yeah, it's it's not a group stage, but whatever. <laughs> the the open the open format. There are the open, open stage. stage. Yeah, and I like closed that. stage. I guess of a of a tournament. Um. So in the open series of the tournament, um, there's there actually has been a fair amount of uh, experimentation um, over the course of CDH's life with this. Maybe not so much recently, um, although no, I guess not. I'm trying to think of tournaments that haven't run with Swiss recently, but I think almost well, everybody has been running Swiss. Several um, like on online tournaments have done fluid rounds, right? Yes. Um, um, and I believe smaller I invitationals have done yeah, round robin. Say, invitationals um, are the only ones that have done things that aren't exactly Swiss and fluid as the as yeah. a dichotomy. Uh but but let's just you know, let's just go through and define what these actually are so well, that people sort of understand what we're talking about. Um in terms of so they're not Swiss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're not actually Swiss. Uh it's the Swiss is adapted from this the open stage of the tournament being called Swiss in traditional magic tournaments, um, but that is not the case in uh, in CDH. CDH is it's not Swiss. It's like it's like partial round robin. I guess you would call it. Yeah, I have no I have no idea what the technical term is or <laughs> what the proper name is. I just call yeah. it Swiss. I, I just call one of them like the two different types of Swiss that I work with. I call one seated Swiss and I call one no repeat Swiss. Even though one even though they both are no repeat, but it, it's not like there's no good language here. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so what we're talking about is Swiss partial Swiss, whatever, um, or partial round <laughs> Robin, uh, typically how most open CDH tournaments are run at this point for the open stage. Um, yep. Being that effectively you're just randomly paired with people and play against them until you get to a point where you cut and then, count up the points and then the top x number of people move on to a closed stage and everybody else gets left out in the cold um that that's that is how most cdh tournaments are run at this point in the open stage um there are additional uh there are a bunch of additional sort of factors that you have to take into account with that as well um some of the primary ones would be uh you don't want to play against the same player multiple times in a tournament or you want to play against the same player as few times as possible in the tournament um, so that you get the widest range of matchups. Um, potentially, there's also uh, seeding involved, although I believe uh, seeding is, is... It's not really been a thing that uh, people have really taken into account, considering, especially that, like, nobody's actually guaranteed to play anybody else, and you only get into elimination, like, way, way further down the line. So seeding in open rounds is sort of... Um, not super necessary, I'd say. Um, 
there's a, I think a lot to be said about that. Do you want to dive yes. into that now or give it some time? Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, we'll so, we'll just top into it now. Yeah, so with with seeding, what we're talking about here is people who win playing against other people who win, right? Mm-hmm. So, or potentially the reverse of uh, yeah, yeah, losers. You, you, you losers, do like, right? or or no, no, or like winners play losers in like, or like you oh, do like stratified, like yeah. you seed, like you seed like the top X over four people into one one pot apiece and the next block of that many people into the second yeah. seat quote-unquote second seat so on and so forth but yeah yeah so generally you know pushing people in specific directions during the <laughs> during the open stage right so yes. we have seen so monarchs events and and tier one events have ran using true no repeat so the only constraint when players are paired is that they haven't played against each other and above a certain number of players, this is mathematically guaranteed, right? You can make it. You can you can mathematically prove that you will always be able to pair people um, because the number of players outscales the number of rounds that you're going to play, right? If you have if you're going to play a thousand rounds, it doesn't matter how many players you have for the most part. You're going to eventually have to play against somebody else. Well, I guess three thousand yeah. players. But the point is, is that within our structures, at least, and the ones that we've ran thus far. You're going to very quickly, over above 40 or 50 players, you're not going to have to play against anybody else. And the math of doing that is pretty easy. So we're able to pull it off. Um, when you do seed, say, winners versus winners, which is generally pretty standard, um, it's much more common for players to be paired up against people that they've already played. The big... And, and a, lot of, a lot of tournaments have started doing this. So Take the Tower did it. Playmax 3 did it. Um, the latest version of Squirebot, when it comes out, and it's in beta right now, will have both as options. So you can both do it completely random and seated um, with some amount of randomness added in as well. Obviously, it'll try to not pair you against people you've already played against. The biggest criticism that I've seen from seated tournaments, right, where you do pair winners against winners, is the one that the final round is almost always entirely draws. But two, and I think this, this piece actually might be more important, that in, if you win the first round, your tie breaks are just completely out of whack. So, the, you know, the general gold standard for tie breaks within, the fa you know, within CDH is the amount of potential points your opponents could have gotten divided by the total number of points they did get. Or maybe flip that, but, but it's essentially a ratio of the amount of points your opponents got to the amount that they could have. If you go into round two with a win you're up against winners and so that stat is very high very very high and so if you win game one and lose game two and three your your tiebreak stat is way way higher than somebody who lost round one and round two and then won round three because they haven't been seated up against yeah. winners so which you which up... compounds if you have to pair people up or down as well yeah ex exactly, exactly. So I, I love the idea of seeding. I think it's probably optimal, but we don't have a good tiebreak for this, right? We don't have a good way to, to make it so that you have a, a more balanced thing after round one. Yeah, it, it's it's a rough problem to solve. Um, I, I think, like, maybe the only way that you do it is, again, like, you, you don't pair winners against winners. You pair, like, winners against people who aren't winning. Um but so, there that has its own issues uh and then there's just yeah like it, it's it, it gets well, very 
complicated very quickly. That also, it'll definitely create issues in later rounds where, yeah. like, where then, you know, targeting, like, absolutely becomes a thing yeah. in that in that context. It's like, oh, well, let's make sure the winner, the person who's, like, high in the seating doesn't win this pod. Which I think is generally, like, another thing that, uh, that, like, you know, we have to contend with that maybe we didn't specifically mention is yeah. that the presence of multiple opponents in a round means that sometimes you are in a position where you can choose who you lose to, and so you have to make sure your tournament structure isn't creating incentives on that front. And Which, hilariously enough, is something that is actually, is actually coming up, like, in a couple of days for us as of the time we're recording this episode in the MLC. <laughs> yes. <Yep. laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very, yeah, these aren't, to be clear, a lot of the problems that we're talking about aren't just theoretical problems. There are things that have and will continue to crop up in tournaments until we find some unified, like, greatest way to run a tournament, which shouldn't actually exist for CDH. Yeah, I would love I, if it I, did. I, oh, I'd, yeah. like, I'd like to think that the people who have thought about this are, you know, smart enough and have put in enough work that there isn't just, like, a super obvious solution that they're missing. <laughs> well, yeah. there's like gone through yeah. like what, like or like sorry, not a super obviously not an obvious solution, but like a solution that once discovered is obviously better that they're missing. Like I really don't think that's the case. I mean, I think that one of the things that really showed to me how many flaws there are in every system is when we were writing the MSIPG and the MSTR, right, which are multiplayer versions of the Infraction Procedure Guide and the Magic Tournament Rules, which are the documents that run one v one, you know, events. We had two or three L2s, and an L3, a couple L1s, many of whom are highly invested and highly engaged in CDH specifically. None of them found a solution that solved this problem. And there's other things that we haven't even gotten to, like the day two, like what do we do on day two or the, the playoff stage? You know, there's no, there is really no simple answer to this. And at least, unless there's somebody out there with a Omega brain, and if they do, come forward and, and tell us how we're supposed to be doing it, because there's... <laughs> yes, please tell us. <laughs> yeah, please. We're struggling over here. The uh, next thing... Yeah, you yeah. want to move on to fluid? No, yeah, I, well, and just, like, give a... Sort of give a definition, because we said that we would, and yeah. <laughs> I feel like people... We've left people hanging for uh, enough time at this point. Um, so, yeah, the, the other sort of, like, primary... Um, uh, like open stage format that we've seen is uh, fluid rounds. Um, this is we we haven't seen this in anything aside from online tournaments, uh, specifically trice tournaments. I don't think we've actually seen experimentation with this for uh, uh, for webcam for tournaments. Webcam. Um, trice. But the idea of fluid rounds as opposed to Swiss, where you um, just get paired in static rounds, so there are a set five rounds in day one, maybe. You get through five rounds, and then that's all the magic you play for today, and you know that you're always going to play five rounds. Um, fluid rounds are called fluid rounds because the idea is that you're always having to play um, at least some number of games in a day, and at most some other number of games in a day, uh, but you as the player get to choose how many rounds that you're playing within that bound. So say the bound is you have to play at least four games um, in this period of time in order to qualify for uh, the top cut for the closed rounds and you can't play more than X number so that you can't like accumulate a win percentage. And the idea of this is that um, 
rather than counting points, which is how you would count Swiss. So a win would be worth some number of points, and then the people with the highest number of points make it into the closed rounds. Um, for fluid rounds, the idea is that you just play for pure win percentage, and then you make cuts based on win percentages. Um, and the reason why this hasn't happened in real life or uh, for webcam, although you could do it for webcam, the reason you only see this online is because it is a bitch to fucking work out in real life because you basically need a centralized looking for game system that can uh, randomly choose players from within a given pool um, to like meter out into pods to then make play and you also have to contend with a bunch of the issues in swiss like not letting people play against each other too many times etc etc there's so many cool things about fluid rounds and so many problems so many more problems <laughs> i think yeah. that the the coolest the biggest selling point from fluid rounds for me is how it is able to aggregate variance with game length because if you win a game in 10 minutes, you can get back in the queue. So somebody who's played three games in an hour and a half could be queued up for their game four against somebody's game two who played one game over the last hour and a half. So you have this nice balance where games that are fast and games that are slow can be aggregated in terms of time. So a single six hour, you know, open fluid round stage could cover four or five games of magic. Whereas in standard Swiss, it might not be able to let you play that many um there are of course consequences to this luxury and they abound <laughs> yes yeah do you want to go over some of the challenges that you've had with implementing fluid rounds joking because god knows we could all talk about our, our experiences with the structure i think i i think that the 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 first problem is that there is no conceivable world to do this without a bot and the software necessary for a bot to run this is tricky um it's, it's a bit complex just a, it's, yeah it's a teensy bit yeah the the first time we the very first Oktoberfest, i actually ran fluid rounds manually so some you know some number of people would queue up i'd plug everybody into a, into a spreadsheet the spreadsheet would do a quick check to see that nobody had played against anybody else. Create pods and fire it off. A little Python script built into a built into a Google Sheet, um, and it worked. It was it was perfectly functional. The problem is when you start going at scale, and especially in person, right? I think in person this is almost entirely non-viable because not only do you have to, you know, you know, in person you have some number of tables that are numbered. So the bot now has to keep track of which tables are free so it can send four people to that table. Um, you know, online you have unlimited rooms, unlimited tables. You just need to tell people where to go and they can sort of figure it out themselves even. But in, in person, I think that the complexity of just like pairing people, um, you know, having them mill about, you know, I can only imagine trying to walk down, you know, if, with everybody at least sitting down at the same time, you have some amount of like structure and timing and stuff like that that it is, you know, reasonable for people. But... The complexity even of just communicating what fluid rounds are like it it people it doesn't make sense it's not very intuitive so i i can't imagine trying that in person is going to go very well although i am curious to see in more online events if it's still worth exploring but yeah anyone who's ever been to a gp knows how much confused milling about there is and yep. like that's with about as rigorous a structure as they can manage <laughs> 
Yeah. I think fluid rounds are very cool. Um, there is some world in which we try fluid rounds again for some of our online events. Um, I know we'll talk at some point about qualifiers. We're considering doing fluid rounds for one of our qualifier events just because I think there's more depth still to be explored and there's more nuance that we haven't, you know, kinks that, that can be ironed out that just haven't yet. Um, I think that the, again, the, the aggregate of variance is such a huge selling point that it forces me to continue to consider it. Um, but other than that, I think Swiss is just, it's just more clean, right? You don't need to teach the whole tournament organizing staff and the players how it works. It, everybody yeah. knows what Swiss looks like. Yeah, yeah. The, the, one of the other huge issues with fluid rounds is that you like you need buy-in from all the players, and you need all the players to actually understand how the tournament format works. Aside, like without like in in Swiss, especially in like one v one, you just put a like sheet of paper on the wall, and people know who they're playing against. And then when the next sheet of paper goes up, they just play against that person, and then eventually put a sheet of paper up that says these sixteen people are through. Everybody else go home. <laughs> in yeah. fluid rounds, it's like not at all that easy to get people to actually understand what's going on. Yeah, everybody needs a phone with connection to whatever software program you're going to be using so that they can queue themselves up when they're ready for a game. And you have, you know, oh, we want to play together, so we'll queue at the same time, so this piece of software will put us together. And then you have people who are like, oh, that person just queued up, and they're really good, so I'm going to wait to queue up instead of queuing up right now because um, I don't want to be paired against them. And, you know, you end up, introducing all of these like variables that players now have to like start thinking about and also like should i play another game that's i think one of the biggest pieces that i've gotten as <laughs> yeah. frustration from players is they're like okay cool i am currently yeah. i'm currently two and two i don't know if i should try to play for three and two or if i should not play at all and th that decision kind of sucks to make it wait, does. Wait, do, do you have something to say about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It, uh, for context, anybody listening, I I played in a fluid round tournament. Um, I believe it was was it Oktoberfest? Uh, whatever. It was a Marchesa. I event. think it was Marchesa. Um, it might have been Marchesa. Anyway, a couple of years ago at this point. Um, where yeah, it was fluid rounds. I played. I thought I did pretty well. Um, I believe at the time that I played my final game, I I think it was four games. I think I played. I, I want to say five. I want to say you were two one. Uh, it might have been three. Uh, no, I, I think, think it was. Were, no, no, I, I think, think you, you had to play one. at least four games. Yeah, to play at least four. Two, I think two. it was like. I think I was two. No, I think it was two one and one. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, that yeah, sounds, that yeah, sounds right. That sounds because, right. Because draws are where all the fuckiness happens in tournament standings. Um. Yep. I, I believe I was two one and one, and uh, at the time of me finishing my fourth game, I was, I believe ninth in the standings um and i had to make the decision of whether or not i wanted to play another round or not uh, i believe i had like 40 minutes until um the cutoff for new games uh begun so i waited for a bit we got to the end of that i was i believe i'd been uh i, I think it was either no, still think, ninth think... or i'd been knocked down like a like a I slot think you were high i think you were actually higher than ninth Oh, I might have been. You know what? I, I think I might have been like fourth or fifth. Anyway, um, by the time that the cutoff happened, I believe I was ninth at that point um, in the standings uh, with a cut to top 16. And my... Or was it cut to top 13? Top uh, 13. It was top yeah, 13. That was, I, that was, I was really bad at this. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think I had four slots between myself and the bottom, and there were like five ongoing games or something like that. Um, 
And I was like, there, yeah, okay. There were more than five ongoing games, but there were only, I think there were like six, five or six games where like one of the participants could actually pass you if they want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was just like, yeah, you know what? Like so much has to go wrong here um, for me to drop out of top 13 that I'll just, I'll, I'll just pass and sit on this. <laughs> and then as the games continued finishing, um, the worst part was, is that, I was, I was watching the games that had, like, a direct impact. Unfortunately, the issue is that there were a lot of other people that were 2-1-1, one, one, apparently. And every time a game finished, <laughs> it just so happened that the result that finished that game reduced my tiebreakers by a significant amount. And this happened about five times in a row. And then the games that actually mattered for me started ending. <laughs> and those started buffing me down basically one at a time. And, like, ruining my tiebreakers as well as those people won. <laughs> to the point where when I started, I started in ninth with, like, no games left to play. Left to play, And I ended up in, like, 17th or 18th or something. Yeah. Because my tiebreakers were literally the worst in the entire tournament by the end of it. And... Three separate people that needed to win to bump me out of top 13 won the game. One of which was <laughs> somebody cast a Divergent Transformations to win the game in their deck. Another player had a Chaos Warp in hand, which fizzles one half of uh, Divergent Transformations for anybody listening. Um, you can remove one of the pieces and they'll get one Polymorph, which doesn't win the game a vast majority of the time. This player casts a... I'm watching this game in real time. It's on Trice. I'm watching this happen in real time. Player casts Divergent Transformations, everybody passes except for one player who has a Chaos Warp in hand. Cast the Chaos Warp, targeting another player's Elsha in order no, no, to not the, try... not the Elsha, it was a permanent controlled by the Elsha player right. to try and spin them into interaction off into the top. Into interaction off the top, <laughs> instead of targeting one of the Divergent Transformation targets. Anyway, moral of the story, I got absolutely he's, fucked by Fluid Rounds, I'm never playing Fluid though. Rounds again. <laughs> he's not bitter, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I just remember, I remember looking at that event and going, oh, wow, Reed's doing really well. And then, oh, wow, Reed did not make the top cut. <laughs> just absolutely tragic. Um, yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and it, on, on a less yeah. personal sort of issue, in discussing uh, fluid rounds with, with, with other people, uh, like, I've heard the criticism a lot that... Uh, they feel that fast decks have an advantage, even when the expected value of a round is massively negative. Yeah, yeah, that was. I I messed with all of the numbers to to make it so that like playing a ton because oh that was Marquesa it was Marquesa last year because that was also the year that or that was the one event where I made all the points just so bizarre. It was like minus two point two five points for a loss or something. Like it was yeah. it was wacky. And Four for a win, minus two point two five for a loss, and one for a draw. I think. Was yeah, the... that sounds right. And yeah, people still felt that uh, that fast decks had an advantage, even though the the rounds were massively negative on average. So I don't know. I I mean, our numbers never showed that fast decks had an advantage, right? They never showed that the more games you played, the better you did in any of the fluid round events that we did. But I, yeah. it doesn't change the fact that, pe that, that if people feel a certain way, even if they're objectively wrong, they're not gonna they're not gonna stop complaining about it. So yeah, pe people are going to have superstitions, and there's not really much that you can do about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, like okay, th so there's like there's a point where you can say having the option to play more games like is a theoretical advantage, right? So like 
if you're two and two, or you know, if you're if you're at a record that will place you, let's say, once everyone else has done their games, that would place you at 18th, and it's a top 16 cut. If you reach that point after the last round cutoff, after playing safe the minimum number of games, then that's your result. Whereas if you have, if you reach that two hours early, you can decide to play more games. And so, like, that is an advantage, theoretically. Yeah, and it's also, this was a bigger issue when we didn't cap it. So there was one event where we didn't have a cap on the number of games you could play. There was just a fixed amount of time. I actually think this was that Marquesa. Um, and then the uh, Cockatrice crashed like th three times, like three times in 60 minutes. So we ended oh, up yeah, adding a ton of time to the end. And so some players played eight games in the, in the, you know, the quantity of time that we had. You know, most players, yeah. some players only played four. Like, Okay, double the number of games? Yeah, that that is an advantage, right? Clearly, there has to be something going on. Like, that's, that's too much of, of variance for you to be able to, to argue that there's not some advantage there. But when you make a nice cap, you know, four to six games or four to five games or something, it's much more, much more doable. Well, but I mean, the counterpoint is that, like, a player, a player at two and two in that event... Wait, so it was four points for a win, two. So... I guess, like, you, you have to pick a point. Basically, the math you're trying to do is you're trying to pick the point where you think the the record with the minimum number of games is going to qualify you for top 16 and then balance around that. So, like, at March, That's actually example, what I did. That was, so, that like, was the a, whole principle. A 4-4 four and four record was better than a 2-2 two and two record. But... A two and six record was worse than a one and three record, so like yeah. you you had some you had some inflection point in the middle there that was like, let's say you it's winning a third of your games, um, and like if you pick that wrong, then you get kind of a weird, you get a weird thing where either, like, based on, based on how well you can calculate what the table is going to look like at the end approximately you ha are faced with the decision whether or not you want to play more games or not like very early on uh depending on your record and like yeah it, it definitely can create a wonky a wonky I'll, scenario i also think that the more tournament complexity the more people are playing a tournament than they are playing magic the gathering the worse your tournament is Right. Like, yeah. Like, I ideally, the ideal format, like, the the idea goals for a tournament should be to um, reward the players who played the best as frequently as possible, and to not make anybody actually think about the tournament except for the TO and staff. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I do that, wonder, that's that's a hard one to get to. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder at some point if there's some world where you want to do hybrid fluid Swiss, where you know maybe for the first up to the you know if you're doing let's say a six round tournament, the first three rounds are all fluid because it's easy enough to pair and you can crunch three rounds into maybe four hours as opposed to you know four and a half, which is normally what you have to do for three rounds. Um, 
you know, maybe you can crunch the time time down and just have the you know a fixed number of fluid rounds. So everybody, you you just play, you know, three rounds as fast as possible with a with a randomization. Then take a break for lunch and then come back and do your remaining rounds in Swiss. You know that there might be some way to incorporate some of the benefits of of fluid with all of the rest of the benefits of Swiss by fixing the rounds. Um, as long as your final rounds aren't all fluid, you're probably so, fine. So on the subject of the benefits of Swiss, do like as a TO, in your mind, are there tournament structural benefits to sorry, not Swiss, uh, to fluid rounds apart from you just reduce the amount of time people are sitting with their thumbs up their noses waiting for rounds to end like is is there well if you can if you can reduce the so in so there's a direct correlation between the quantity of time that players spend doing like not playing the games and the amount of time that that like the amount of games that get played so when we think about one of the big flaws of CDH, it's the number of games that are played in an event. If you can reduce the amount of time per game on average, right? Like if you can if you can structure your tournament as if rounds are only 60 minutes because of something like Fluid, you can play more games. You could add in two extra games on the end of your day if you've got a system that enables that. So it's there's definitely the element of like, it's better for the players. But when we talk about the tournament structure, if we could do eight rounds... In the amount of time it only t it would take for six because of fluid, that that's clearly better, right? That's clearly a better structure. Well, yes and no. Like, sure, if you could, if like it's better if everyone plays eight rounds. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is that if you can if you can structure it such that you are able to comp if you can have everybody complete more games in a shorter period of time. Okay, so, so I guess. Yes, I guess, like, so, yeah, that is, I guess, that is the advantage, is that you're, you're, like, you get to play games equal to, basically, the average length of a game with your deck, rather than a, a set round timer, which is, like, gonna be higher than that average, generally. So yeah. it doesn't, like, you can't have everyone play eight games in four hours, but you can probably have everyone play six game, or like on average, most people will get in six games in six hours. Whereas you'd have to have like 45 minute rounds plus turns if you were doing that. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's it though. <laughs> that, that's it. <laughs> Not that that's, uh, I mean, th that's a very real it. Yes, it is. The only reason to consider it is, is how real of an it, it ha in fact happens to be. Right, like CDH tournaments are just da too damn long. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about day two because that's yeah. Uh, I was about to say that's that's, that's where the, the other that's half. where the actual that's where the fun fun stuff happens because yeah. oh lord, there's there's a lot of ways to run day twos and a lot of different people have run day twos in different ways. Um, and I'm gonna be real. I'm not sure any format has been fully successful at all period <laughs> i i don't i don't think we have i don't think we have a day two format right now or a what closed rounds format right now that actually fully works i think we have some that are less bad than others and that's that's about as far as you get especially the, those ones um, run by run by those bozos at monarch Jeez. yeah right <laughs> yeah, yeah 
Yeah. Are um, you ready to play three rounds of single elimination? Oh boy. <laughs> Please no. Um so yeah, I we'll we'll go through like what the primary one is right now, just to give people context, I guess. Um, which is um a vast, vast majority of CDH tournaments currently run with a cut to top sixteen. Um, where you'll play all the all the Swiss or fluid rounds or whatever. Um, you get all of those, whatever counting you're using to evaluate um, how you rank players. You rank all of the players, and then you take the top 16 and say, you guys are playing tomorrow or in the next two rounds or whatever. Everybody else go home. We're going to figure this out with the top 16 people. Um, typically, that results in the, um, in the format of you take 16 people, you split them into four pods. The winner of each of those pods goes into a final pod. The winner of that pod wins the tournament. Um, pretty simple to understand. I think it's probably the most intuitive way to run tournaments, uh, but there are issues with that, and there are also alternatives. Um, do you, I guess joking, like, just first of all, do you have, do you have an opinion on, like, where top six, cut to top 16 into top four ranks in terms of, like, just in general, how good the format is compared to alternatives? So, I think that the biggest strength of top 16 is its simplicity mm. you know everybody gets it um i think that it does generally do a good job of rewarding players who did better in swiss than or in you know open stage because you are seeding and you see turn order which i think i do think that's a good a good part of the top 16 personally um i think obviously the the biggest issue with top 16 is that a single round of CDH is not a lot of information. Um, yeah. There's, especially, and this is especially true in like a top four situation where the prize pool, when you talk prize pools and how disproportionate prize pools get, right? Yep. Tier one has a time twister for the winner. Well, two yep. through fourth are not getting something that is close to a time twister. So the amount of weight that is placed on a single game um, is a bit disproportionate, and that's that's true in top sixteen. I and I I think it, funnily enough, we've also seen in a lot of tournaments where a dispropor a hugely disproportionate weight was placed on a single game, and it wasn't even the finals pod. Like there have been a yeah. lot of tournaments where essentially, if you won your semifinal, you got good prizes, and if you lost, you got more or less nothing. And yep. then we're guilty like, of that. Sure, the winner gets better prizes than the rest of the people in the semifinal, but even then, like like, you know, the worst the person who walked away with the worst deal at, for example, Tier One Con walked away with what, like a Bayou and a Badlands or something? something yeah, like that. Yeah. Just in like the finals pod and an unreasonable amount in the semis got nothing. <laughs> yeah, the like if you literal, if you lost in nothing. semis, literal empty hand. Can I soapbox for this topic for just a second here? Go for sure. it. So I, I think that this is actually one of the things that is going to take the CDH community um, a little bit of time to get used to, but is going to very quickly become the standard. The simple fact of the matter is that people do not go to CDH tournaments because of positive EV. Yep. And a big fancy prize pool at the top it, it does exactly one thing for you, and that's publicity. It doesn't make your tournament structure more, you know, it doesn't increase the tournament integrity. In fact, it decreases it because it incentivizes kingmaking, which is another subject. 
what will convince people to come to events in the next five years is that the events themselves are engaging and entertaining, that the non-event things that are happening are engaging and entertaining. If every person who walks into a CDH tournament gets something, and every person who makes a top bracket gets something, even if that something is not worth a lot of money, you will attract more people and they will have a better experience than if you take all of that money that you would have spent on those prizes going out to everybody and just put it in the top four or in the top one or in the top 16. Like intangibles, like, like non-financially incentivizing prizes like cool playmats or altar sleeves, which is one of Monarch's sponsors, you know, things like that create better memories and better experiences than a super top-loaded prize pool. And Monarch is probably not going to be spending very much money increasing its prize pool. Like, you know, you see this in esports where it's like, well, okay, it's a million dollar major or a $5 million major or whatever it may be. I don't think that that's a good idea. And I think that we should, that as a community, as a whole community, we should be trying to shy away from that because I don't think that that's what the future of a CDS tournament is. I don't think that a, a million dollar major is the right format for CDH. What you should do is take that million bucks and make sure that everybody who comes up to your event gets something cool out of it so that, you know, what they're playing for is the experience, not for money. What are you, some sort of communist? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just Canadian. Uh, I'm Canadian and I want my prizes for <laughs> That's just because you yeah, win I, them all. If, if you didn't, if you didn't, you know, if you didn't just win all the events, then you would, you know, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't have that have that much of an opinion. If you if you lost all your events, hey, he's he's not the one who's all time CDH earnings leader. That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like I, I, def I actually definitely agree in terms of like, um, I, I think also just the fact that unfortunately enough, um, this is just how it is, um. CDH is sort of just like poker, but with more variance. Uh, and it's just like not a super healthy thing to like just reward, like have ever increasing prize pools rewarding, like basically variance above most other things. Obviously, I, everybody here can agree skill plays a very large factor in actually doing well consistently in tournaments. But um, in terms of actually like taking down tournaments for the most part or like getting to day two there's a whole lot of variants involved that you can't really control for and that gets even worse and worse as the uh, player base expands and these tournaments get larger and i think that like expanding prize pools and like funneling it toward the top of those tournament structures results in probably worse experiences overall for a majority of the field than just having like a well-run event that goes smoothly has great side events and like has just like a great venue for people to just hang out and play games and talk. Yeah, and and definitely, like, I think uh, because the variance is so high, it doesn't, like, we're never going to hit a point where, uh, like, even with, like, prize pools that we weren't top-loading, uh, because the variance is so high, I don't think we'll ever reach a point where, like, you can, you know you can consistently money and at least like cover your travel expenses even like that. I, I think that's no. pretty, yeah. you'd have to have, you'd have to be in order. I would say in order for someone to consistently money, you'd have to have like very long tournaments because like, even if you win 50% of your games, which is insane, right? Like that's, 
Yeah. That's literally twice above expected value. Um, depending on how you convert that to to like one v one win rate, that's like be- better than than you know any like pick your favorite pro. They don't have that win rate. Um, like even then, that still means you know if you have to have two two and good breakers to to money, let's say you're still not you're gonna not money like a third of the time or a quarter of the time or whatever like we we would you have to run them like chess tournaments where it's like a chess tournament takes like an entire week and you play like two games a day on an aggressive schedule like it it, it would just have to take like just so long to run them um to make something else so not even aspiring to that seems to be correct but yeah go for it yeah i i think something else here that that you that sort of reminded me as you were talking there if you're trying to guarantee being in the money, you're playing as a team, right? You and, uh, yeah. let's say, three other people are all showing up. And you have, before you even sit down to play at any game, knowledge of who you're going to try to make win when you sit down to do it. You know, let's, let's you know, just take a hypothetical here. Let's imagine you're in the grand finals of a CDs tournament. Two of the players are Channel Fireball. You know, whatever. Just pick a random pro team. They're going to king make each other. They're going to play with the intention yeah, of making sure that one of up. those two are <laughs> no. going to win, right? This problem is hugely exacerbated in CDH, and it already exists in regular tournament magic, right? I had a great talk with Brian Koval, who's a, who's a pro, and that's pretty much what he was saying, that like CDH players are not ready for what pros will do to a multiplayer format because they will team up and king make the shit out of each other. And there's nothing, yep. there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. I mean, if you think the spite discussion, like spite play discussion from like whatever, like two years ago, whenever it was a hot topic about like, oh, is one what is like packing that you can't play pay for it like a spite play or whatever. If you think yeah. those were bad? Yeah, get to the point where you're playing like actual like real tournament CDH with stakes in the line, and people are like, yeah, I know that my friend three tables over is probably is competing against you in terms of win rate and play and like win percentage or like a opponent win percentage. So I'm gonna king make this other person in the spot because I know I can't win, but I need you to not win so that my teammate can have better breakers. <laughs> like, plus, like, yeah, let me ask, it's let me ask you this: like, are you willing? Guy. Are you willing to lie to somebody for fifty k? Yeah, of course. <laughs> right? Like, like, like a, a vast majority. Like, you might say no as a competitor, and, like, I respect that. I personally, like, I, I'm questionable on whether or not I actually would do that. But a vast I don't majority know. of I've the never... player base of CDH would 100% lie for, like, if you're in a final spot and the difference between first and losing in that final spot is, like, 10k or whatever, yeah, you're gonna lie your ass off and try to make that fucking 20k instead of the 10k that you're getting for second. <laughs> Yeah, I like to think that I wouldn't do that. I've also never been in a situation where it's like an act, like a huge amount of money. Like I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm that good of a person. Like, you know, like I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just think that like prize pools increasing is cool. I think it's a good sign of what's happening. Um, but how they're split is super important. And the more top loaded, the more problems you're gonna run into. Yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Getting back to day two in general, um, yeah, so like this, this does inform a lot of that. Uh, obviously, I think the uh, there's actually a fair amount of crossplay between. Um, I mean, it, the the I think the tournament format in terms of ensuring fairness uh, comes first, and um, by like a yep. large margin. But 
certainly uh, equitable, equitable prize, equitable prizing. Holy moly! Um, or like reasonable prizing splits is like has some amount of impact on like how you actually structure closed rounds. Um, just because like if you're doing closed rounds of like like in some unbalanced manner where people are like guaranteed to get to top tables uh better than some other people um then like depending on the prize pool you end up with just like huge discrepancies um for different numbers of games played slash one so um yeah. there, there's some there's some informing that goes on there um but yeah in terms of alternatives to top 16 i guess uh i think what probably the um well, the one that you I know have experimented with a lot in the past has been uh top thirteen. Um have you done like theory crafting for uh other formats like that that you think might have uh merit? Yeah, so we have when we were working on the MSTR, uh or the MSIPG or you know, it was the MSTR. We were working on the MSTR and we were talking about what our tournament structure was gonna be for different sizes, we had four, 16, and then something bigger than 16, right? 16 is great. It works up to a certain point. If you have 250 players, I don't know if 16, a cut to top 16 is still appropriate, right? That's a very small fraction of your top, your total player pool. Um, regular traditional 1v1 magic is top eight the whole way down. It doesn't matter how big your event is, you still only cut to top eight. So there's some interesting baseline there. But the but one that you we... also play, like, it's yeah. important to know. You have the context of you're playing, like, I believe GPs were 15 rounds and then a cut to top eight. Not yes. four or five. Like, the, the number of rounds scales up with the number of players as opposed to the size of the top cut. Yeah. So, I think that the, the piece here, um, or at least what we, what we talked about doing for bigger than top 16 was top 40. That's what's currently in the MSTR. Um, although we're happy to change that, right? Like that's not set in stone by any stretch of imagination. And the premise behind top 40 is the top eight are cut directly to semifinals. The remaining 32 play eight pods. So you play essentially eight pods, four pods, one pod. So it's triple, triple, three rounds of single elimination. Um, we heard loud and clear when we did top 64 at Oktoberfest last year that that was an absolute nightmare. Uh, and we also had timing issues with it. So... We're going to see how top can, 40 plays out. confirm. <laughs> yeah. We're going to see how top 40 plays out like when it comes up in events, but um, I, I do, I'm pretty confident that this is not the, the long-run uh, solution for, um, for a top cut. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the thing that like, makes this all tricky is that from a tournament narrative content creation event organization perspective single elimination makes sense but like it's actually cdh is such a high variance format that i think ideally like ideally you wouldn't be knocked out on your entire tournament wouldn't hinge on a single game like more or less ever um unless you know you were like like i think it's fine if you are just below sort of the result you need to get in but just like okay i made top 16 let's say i did quite well you know maybe i'm even like highly seated in in the top 16 i placed sixth let's say and then it's like oh you know i'm to four like i you know i just i 
I drew a hand without lands, and then, like, a hand that, you know, was j just did nothing, and then, like, oh, I'm at five, whatever, you know, or even I'm, I'm multi five, and someone else opened, like, add some crazy opener. Like, just Land oh, Crypt, okay. uh, Rissic Study, great. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, just I'm like, alright, cool, I, I, I'm out of this tournament on, like, on the basis of, like, mulligans in one game, you know, is, is not a great feeling. Um, and, you know, how do we sort of manage that? How, how do we manage that reality with, like, okay, but, you know, from the perspective of people watching the tournament or people organizing it, like, single elimination is by far the best way of doing it. Double elimination involves just, just, like, the most disgusting, like, you... I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember, Nick, in one of our our chats, I, like, I sent do. you something. It was like, so, yeah, you'd have, like, a top 27 cut, uh, <laughs> and then you'd, like, you'd seed one person directly into the finals, and then, or, like, it was, yeah, you'd seed one person into the finals, and then there'd be a double elimination round, and then, like, you'd add in some people to like fill out the the losers bracket pods and it was just like <laughs> it was absolutely Incredibly disgusting complex. yeah yeah it's extremely um, extremely complicated but like the alternative at least the the biggest one to my mind is like a top four round like you know you cut very small but make those players play more than one game you know what happens if you do a top four with one of the other ways to play a single pod so you could do a fixed quantity of games right so like the top pod plays three or four or you could do like a first to two so you know first person to win two games um both of these have the the immediate consequence of uh, the stakes in a given game being different than the stakes in a game immediately following it specifically with relation to specific opponents um, yeah. I, I think you both played have, have both played in tournaments with first to two pods I, have, i'm sure yes. you can speak to some of the consequences of that structure yep i mean th there's just the uh like it, th there's the dynamics change too much um over the course of the entirety of the finals but very simple example you win game one nobody in game two wants you to win they all king make against you <laughs> so if you ever have a chance to win your game two because winning two games immediately wins you the tournament so if you win game one Everybody will do everything in their power to make you not win game two just so they get a chance at a game three. Same thing for those two people who won the first two games for game three, and et cetera, et cetera. It, it gets very weird very quickly, and there's a lot of, again, perverse incentives in terms of the incentives of the tournament format are different than from the incentives of a given game. Oh yeah, here, here. I found that this was like one of the suggestions I came up with. A top 34 cut. The top two move directly to semis. Three to 34 play around. The eight winners move to the semis. The 24 losing players play another round. The six winners move to the semis. And then you have 16 people. Was like and then, one of and the then you do I a top 16 about. cut? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, there were, there were some other ones that, that got, uh, you know, just increasingly ugly of like filling out more you know 
filling out loser brackets pods because if you look at like like a lot of fighting games do double elimination where you yeah you know you're in the winner's bracket you lose your first game you go to the loser's bracket you lose in the loser's bracket and you're out um but the problem with that is that uh like in in that situation when you have 1v1 games as as long as you have twice as many people in the winner's bracket as the loser's bracket the math just sort of works out cleanly right like you eliminate half the people in the loser's bracket and then you sorry like they have the same number you eliminate half the people in the loser's bracket half the people from winners move to losers and play against the remaining half and the math just works quite nicely um but when you have when you have a 3-1 split like instead of going okay you know we have 32 and 32 then we have 16 and and 16 and then we have whatever it's like okay we have 32 and and 32 or we have 32 people then we have uh you know then we have or even if we start with 64 to make the math a little bit nicer you get you get an extra round right then you have 48 and 16 and then you have four and and 28 like you get or sorry not 28 uh 24 which still works but then after that you have six winners of in losers bracket from 24 players and then you have three people moving down from winners bracket and now you have nine people what do you do there like it just gets it gets extremely uh i'm like extremely awkward yeah i'm like good at this stuff and i'm confused like, yeah, you know? <laughs> and, that's, and that's all the listeners actually need to hear is that like yeah. it's it's just too much. Nobody that's ever like you, you would only be able to run like any of these theoretical formats in basically an invitational. Um, yeah, you, like there's no way you could like trust the general populace. You can trust me with understanding this format playing the mat. Like you would literally have to handhold me through an entire tournament of like here's what you're playing next. Here's what you have to, like, do, like, can I afford to lose this one? No? Okay, who am I playing? Can I afford to lose this one? No? Okay, who am I playing? Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and, like, where are we? Where, where, how, how many wins away is prizing? Like, just, yeah. One interesting Terrible. idea Terrible that I haven't likes. really seen theorized, or at least built out in any depth, is rather than counting wins, counting losses. Right? So, for example, you could say, well... It, and then, you know, this might be an adapt. If you want to adapt fluid, you could adapt it this way. It would be like, okay, you're going to play games until you've lost three. And then however many wins you have after that point will help determine what your standing is. Um, or, you know, something along the lines where you have a self sort of whittling process over the course. So, for example, let's say you do mm. Swiss. And after round three, a bunch of people are just kicked out. They're done. But after round four, only some, you know, some number are kicked out. And you sort of whittle it down over time until you get to a place where there's very few people remaining or you reach the end of the number of rounds. Um, and this also helps address some of the variance issue by reducing the total number of people in each round after round three or four or whatever your cut's going to be. So, you know, if you only are playing four pods, it's much, much more likely that some of those ga- that all of those games will end before time than if you have yeah. 25 or 30 pods. Yeah, it, it gives you, like, way better, like, promptness in terms of actually finishing on time. Um which is, again, still a large issue for CDH tournaments. <laughs> yeah. Bears repeating as many times as we have to say it. Um, but yeah, all of this to say, basically, day two is still a mess for 
any tournament format for this format. If you have any experience TOing incredibly complex games with weird incentives and, like, really weird elimination structures, uh, you should definitely contact, like, just somebody in this community so that <laughs> Anyone. we can figure this out. So, yeah. just, just find the, your random CDs player off the street. If they have Discord, let them know and have them come to us. Like, please. Uh, but, yeah. Um, it the 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 bow on this is not a neat one but it's a bow that says this is still a work in progress come back later we're not finished wrapping this present yet yeah <laughs> um until then cool. top 16 away <laughs> yeah pretty much um so that's 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 our discussion on like day 1 day 2 um which i th i think pretty good i think i think we covered a lot of ground there um we do have some other uh just interesting stuff to talk about in terms of uh tournaments uh that we'll just clean up quickly and then we'll uh we'll get on to everybody's favorite uh <laughs> uh favorite uh what i i forgot the word anyway moving on um so uh, a couple of things here um this is one that's come up uh fairly recently as well um specifically with tier one uh they've done uh, some tournaments with uh some of these incentives um and i think there have been some other tournaments with stuff like this anyway um the idea of uh incentivizing playing in like prerequisite tournaments um for an open tournament so um, not qualifiers for like a closed tournament, but um, say that there are like multiple smaller tournaments leading up to one large tournament. How do you incentivize those players playing in the small tournaments um, to want to do well in those tournaments uh, before they play in the larger tournament? Um, typically how you'd see this done in uh, like 60 card formats or just like 1v1 uh, tournaments in general would typically be with buys. Um, if you do particularly well... Um, at a qualifier, uh, you would get like a buy or two buys in a GP. Um, unfortunately, that gets a bit strange with CDH. Um, I think people have, uh, people are trying it. I believe Tier One Con has has run it last year and is running it this year with buys as rewards. Um, yes, there's a bunch of players who are getting buys in round one of yes. of Tier One Con. Yes, uh, but. Or is there a better way to reward players? Because buys, I'm going to be real, a bit of a nightmare. Are they? Uh, I think so. Um, at least in terms of, you have to separate the players who earned buys versus the players who just happen to have a buy because of uh, an so, odd number of players in a tournament. That seems to me like a logistical or a, a, um, a technical issue, but not a structural mm. one, personally. Mm. Okay. Uh, do you think that buys are the best way to reward players in this manner? So up until I read the notes that you had here, the answer was yes. But I'm, I've, I've started thinking about the other option here, which for, for the listener is static point bonuses. Um, so you just give them some number of points. I have a lot of questions and thoughts about that because I actually think that that might Great. be a very elegant solution um, to, the, to the problem of inval you know, taking an entire round away from a player with which to to contribute to the knowledge of of that player's skill right because sure. i think that's the biggest issue with buys is that you basically say to a player and to all players that hey yeah this person we're not going to collect any data on them instead they just get a win and that's not and, and great like it, it 
like it reduces variance for them, which like isn't actually yes. necessarily what you want. Like that's I don't necessarily think that reducing variance for a given player is the reward that you want to give them. The reward that you want to give them is a higher percentage chance of winning the event, but you don't want to like reduce their variance over the rest of the players in the event. Yeah, especially when each game matters so much in this format, right? Exactly. A single buy in a, you know, a 12 or 15 round tournament is a very different thing than one buy out of four rounds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, potentially the other option here is, uh, I mean, there, there's obviously, you can go deeper down the rabbit hole than just static point bonuses. You can give, like, people just, like, automatically better breakers, et cetera, et cetera. Gets a bit weirder, but, um, yeah, let's, let's talk about, like, the, alter the alternatives here. Um, I think static point bonuses definitely have potentially a place, um, or at least uh, deserve to be potentially given a chance or at least thought over a bit more. Um, it could be interesting in terms of maybe in a, a tournament where you get three points for a win to give a player um, like a two-point point bonus um, at the initial starting the event to put them on a higher standing, but it's still in a place where um, if they lost all their rounds uh they could be outplaced um it would like give them better seating moving into the top portion of the event um it would give them like better breakers sort of by default but maybe doesn't give them a full wins worth of points yeah it also depends on how many points you're doing for wins right like the right. ms the msipg or the msdr recommends five points for a win yep. instead of three um, yep. which has to do with the fact that if a draw is worth one then you're adding four points to the system with a draw um and five it's just sort of yeah the the there really isn't a ton of issues in terms of you know point you know by you know three top three draws being worth the same as a as a win um but if you start adding static point bonuses then you add another layer of math that is worth considering right you know what is yeah. the optimal amount how many buys are worth a pre-event win and how many buys plus pre-event wins are worth one win in the event itself um, which is an interesting sort of way to start thinking about, you, you know, the point structure of an event. Right. Um, would you ever consider, like, just giving, um, like, default better breakers on the same scoreline for, uh, as a reward? Or do you think that goes too far in terms so, of sort of, like, messing with tournament structures? It technically, so when you talk about, like, buys, in some ways you are doing that, Right. You're, right, you're, you're giving the, them the, the breaker win. is your points, yeah. right? right? The breaker is your points. Um, when you start messing with breakers after that, like if you're saying, okay, so whatever like your second and third degree breakers, yeah, yeah. So let's say you know, because let's let's take a hypothetical here. You know, one potential option. We could say that if you have a pre-event win, you will be the highest ranked after points are considered. So, for example, let's say you know you're you're cutting to top four. And players three, four, five, and six all have the same point scoreline. Well, if any of those four players won a pre-event, you'll just move them right to the top. You just ignore breakers after points and say you're number one because you have the pre-event thing. Well, obviously it introduces the problem of, well, what if there are multiple? But that's you, know, you can go back to breakers with that. Yeah. Uh, in terms of adding something just like flat to the breaker system, I think the bigger issue is the fact that our second line breaker after points sucks. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we don't have a good one. We that's, don't have good a good one. way yeah. to do breakers yet, right? Um, and, <laughs> and so the, 
Sorry, yeah, I, I know yeah, Morgan no. is seething because of <laughs> some issues in tournaments that we've run into before with breakers. It just, it just TOs in general choosing really bad options for second degree breakers. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the bigger issue there is just that second and third degree breakers suck. Um, with second degree breakers, you when you do so buys in CDH right now. At least this is how it was ran last year at tier one. This is how it'll be run again at this tier one with buys. Um, is if you have a buy, it is not counted as a part of the games you have played, but you didn't, you, you won't have played in round one. So, for right. example, if you are two and two, you've played three games and your win percentage is 33%, as opposed to somebody else who played two and two, which is 50%. Well, that's bad, right? That's not good for, for a buy. Um, so, we have to differentiate between people who earned buys and, and received buys. Right. Um, and so you end up in the situation where you have to try to balance the second degree breakers where, okay, this is a game, you know, the earned buy is a game that you played and therefore does count towards win percent unless it doesn't benefit you for it to count towards win percent, in which case it doesn't do that. And it's this weird, very bizarre, weird sort of like, there's, there's, just, there's just not a good system for it. It just, it, the, Wait, the, how could it not benefit you to count it towards win percent like, there's, it's a win like, I, I don't know the the i know that i messed around a bunch with different ways to incorporate what uh earned buys versus assigned buys and i never found a system that worked well with breakers so my point is that it is still unsolved and i would like to hear more about ways that we can solve it because it's messy yeah, for the record, this entire episode is just joking, screaming for help about anybody who has experience in <laughs> TOing events, or just, like, any mathematical analysis or statistical analysis at all. <laughs> I, I, I remember looking up, what, like, because I've engaged in this discussion a few times, I was like, well, what does, literally, the, I was like, okay, what's a game that people play competitively that has more than a one versus one format? And all I could come up with was... The Settlers of Catan. Yep. Yes. Uh, that is the exact same conclusion that I came to. And, yeah. and I looked it up, and their tournament format... The thing is, is that they have such an excellent uh, breaker that they can afford to just have almost all of their results be determined by breakers. It's because, just total points, right? Yeah. The game yeah. is get to 10 points. Yeah. So the, the incredibly obvious breaker is... Well, how many points did you get? Um, yeah, which, like, yeah. we just don't have, like, yeah. CDH pods, <laughs> despite some people, like... Uh, man, I've seen people propose formats where they're like, yeah, so, you know, if you're second place, you get you get one point. I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I like, forgot about that. I, this entire episode, I have issue. not thought about trying to assign a second place in pods because that was one of the first things that we eliminated from our events. Was like, oh yeah, there's it's one winner and three losers and no other outcomes, or a draw. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's just you just can't do it in a fair way, and that's like the other reason why like CDH is also nightmare hellscape of tournament organization is because you have exactly one winner and there's no way to rank the losers <laughs> in a given game. I, th I think technically you can rank them if they, you know, if, if you wanted to, you could rank them in did they die before Order the one player death. who won yeah. one. But <laughs> yeah. that has problems as well. Yep. But especially like, man, there's so many, you know, like, does that mean Najila players like get to 
assign the points however they want. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, or you just get screwed by turn order if somebody breach, you know, brain freezes your whole library, and it's like, well, if you're yeah. next, you're about yeah. to lose first. And then even aside from that, just like, yeah, I don't want you to have points, so I'm just going to focus on beating you to death, and whatever happens, happens with the rest of the game. <laughs> like, just, we, let's, let's just double down on it, and if you win, you're removed from the pod, but the game continues. <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought you were going to go to the other direction, where if you win, you just get to assign who got second, third, and fourth. <laughs> that, that, sorry, you're right, that's an even better idea. We should, we it's should like do the that. MTGO system where, where everyone just gets to vote for whoever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd, be right. curious, I'd be curious to see an Invitational where you were able to, you know, if you win with Thassa's Oracle, you're, you receive first place and re are removed from the pod, and then the pod continues. Not because I think it'd be like a good tournament structure, because it'd be it'd be really good content. I think it would be entertaining as hell. It'd yeah, be extremely entertaining. <laughs> but I don't know if that's a good choice for a GP scale uh, CDH tournament. Yeah, it actually, it creates like a super interesting question of like, okay, this person's going for a win. I think they have a lot of protection. Do I try and stop them, or yeah. do I hold these two counter spells, let them win, and go for second? I I think it makes a terrible tournament format, but like <laughs> but, it would be, be really funny cool. to see once, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the 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 actual I thought actually, process of going through that, that, that is tournament is what I. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So we'll we'll lock you in for the booth when Monarch <laughs> yeah. does that next summer, and. <laughs> Uh, oh, just run it, as, run it as a side event. <laughs> Long side that, yeah, event. Yeah, just, yeah. just, you know, day two, everybody's lost. All right, come play some yeah. wonky magic. Let's, let's just get some numbers on the on the board to see what it oh, looks yeah. like. Oh, it's, yeah, it's just all... So you play it with plane chase, and you play it with no ban list, and then it's just everybody, yeah, free-for-all. <laughs> I built this no ban list deck today that wins uh, I, on I or before the turn tweet, two 90% yeah. of the time. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's so fast. Oh god! I just realized that I opened the no banless can of worms. Okay, I'm gonna put the can back on that one real yeah, quick. Tape fair, it fair. up, and we'll move on. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so aside from that, uh, Morgan, did you have anything pressing that you wanted to get to before we get to everybody's favorite segment? No, I think we did a pretty good job of of sort of summing up the the issues that we were <laughs> facing in each tournaments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Um. In that case, uh, I think we'll wrap up our main episode or main uh, topic there and get to again gut check everybody's favorite uh, favorite segment. And of course, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Gut check. Gut check. Yeah, there you go. Where do you, where do you fall on the on the scale of enthusiastic gut checks, Nick? Um, I I am probably not particularly enthusiastic. Unless I've been drinking. I feel like I would, you know, two mm -hmm. or three drinks in, I would full send, you know, on gut check. Gotcha. Um, just but can't right build now, up the courage otherwise. Yeah. Right now, I'm just a little, I'm a little too sober to, to, to bring that kind of, you know, reckless enthusiasm to, to, to gut check. Honestly, right. I feel like if I were a guest on a show that had a segment like this, I would just be so apprehensive. Like, <laughs> yeah, like we, yeah, we've kind of out. accepted that, like... Our answers are just, like, sometimes, you know, nonsense. But if it was, like, okay, I get one chance to, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I do sort of feel bad for Phil. I, 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 I tried to phrase it in the most charitable way possible, but the, uh, the gut check in the channel and the Discord is definitely, like... it's You, you gotta rate him on his card evaluation skills, which is, like... Eh. 
anyway um here's here's the initial question this is gonna get cut out if it's terrible but i i hope it's it goes terrible. well <laughs> i'm excited joking yeah uh this is directed at you but we will both give our answers as well here's the gut check would you rather to a tournament by hand so pencil and paper no computers no mechanical help by hand or to a tournament with a crark deck in every pod <laughs> oh my god that's a phenomenal question uh crark deck easy because i can issue them game losses yep. <laughs> I guess you just, you gotta change. Yeah, you you have to let them play it through in time. Is okay. the is so, the qualifier there? No, no. no I, <laughs> I, I mean, I I don't mean like just like you know. I'm not saying unjustified game losses, right? I'm not saying like yeah, I'm I just know. gonna you know you know dekey them out of every game. But I mean like we have structure like only the games where they cast Kruk. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Sakashima only. It's fine, you know. Um, so you just you'll just have a bunch of laser focused judges, and if any of them miss any triggers, you just immediately start issuing them warnings. I, I <laughs> think it's what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, it's just, I mean, we opened the can of worms a little. I'll speak just briefly to the to the Kirk thing. Kirk, Kirk, I don't think is going to be too much of a problem in the future. Um, it it definitely could be, right? It definitely could be, but I think that it's much more likely that players are going to realize that they are going to get destroyed if they play Krark because everybody hates the deck. Like, one, one slight benefit of being a four-player multiplayer tournament is that if three players in the pod hate your deck, you're going to lose. Like, they'll, dis they'll just destroy you. Like, you can't win th one versus three. So if Krark is making people as miserable as, as it sometimes has been reputed to be, there are natural mechanisms in effect to address that. Um, and the same is true from a, from a tournament organizer side, right? If I have a single-player Kirk player who's a problematic Kirk, you know, like, many Kirk players are not problematic. There are some that are. If you are not good enough at playing your deck, we will issue a game loss for it, and then you won't play it in the future, or you'll get good enough that it, you're not a problematic Kirk player anymore. Like, there's this very, there's very much this sort of self-correcting mechanism with the deck where either you're good enough for it to, you're good enough with it for it to not be a problem or you're so bad with it that either everybody hates dealing with you and so you lose or we have to issue you game losses so you lose and you'll stop playing the deck either way so i think that like I, my hope my fingers crossed the worst that kark is ever going to be has already passed um you know i didn't have it's fine we can just bully the Kark players on my <laughs> bingo card of things that were going to be said this episode. <laughs> well, apparently, that's where we I, got to. I, you, you know, it's not. It's I'm not bullying Kark players. What my my play group has a, a a player who plays Kark every time. The only deck he ever plays is Kark. Um, so I've had my fair share of dealing with it. I guess is my point. All right, Morgan, what do you got? Uh, I think I would just do a, a, a Kark deck in every pod, and unfortunately, see, the problem the problem with your answer, Nick, is not that it wasn't a good answer, it's that it brought up that we didn't even really discuss uh, issuing game losses in tournaments, which is yeah. another <laughs> important part of the structure. Um, but, yeah, I think I think you just have to have judges be vigilant and uh, 
you know, come up with come up with guidelines for when to start issuing slow play warnings, and then honestly, it doesn't matter what people are playing like that much because, uh, like you can issue slow play warnings to people who think for th for ten or fifteen seconds on every spell card casts when they're casting seven thousand spells in a turn, as well as like any player who like is is also just taking too long to execute their combo right um but i uh, if if it was if it was you can only use like a spreadsheet like an excel spreadsheet you know with no like python or anything just like a spreadsheet and I'll, excel I'll, formulas i would have i would have taken that but i'll give you an abacus final offer <laughs> I mean, sure, I just wouldn't T.O. I'd just spend all day playing with the Abacus. Like. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I, I, you know what? I think, I think depending on the size of the tournament, I actually might be able to... I, like, I, I might prefer running it pencil and paper. It would require a lot of setup time, but I think if you do the setup ahead of time, it wouldn't be too nightmarish. I mean, I Breakers. guess having random pods, you can actually just... Like, you can prepare all the pods ahead of yeah, time. You, yeah, Breakers. that's what I'm thinking. Like, you, you just do it all ahead of time. Uh, the, lo the lone issue... Yeah. The only reason I wouldn't want to do a pen and paper tournament is breakers. Just Everything else you can deal with... Just make with. it long enough that you don't have to. Easy game. Oh, I was thinking you just pick randomly from the people in the thing. The breaker is my choice. <laughs> can I? I, 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 didn't, say, I didn't say it had to be a good tournament. <laughs> or yeah, a fair, fair enough. Tournament. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll just play the same pod three rounds in a row, and we'll be good. That's we'll just call yeah, exactly. And so then, I have yeah. a, I have a follow up gut check question that I think is even even shorter than this gut check question. Would you right. rather play in a three round tournament with one pod with three Quark decks in it? And two normal pods, or play in a three-round tournament with one Krark deck in each pod. Do I know ahead of time? You do. Okay, I think the first option, and I bring a deck that's full of pyroclasms, because it's like a guarantee. But then you have win. all of these pyroclasms in rounds two and three. Yeah, and then you just sort of hedge and hope that you play against still dark decks. Yeah, <laughs> like you just you just play like five-ish pyroclasms. Nuke the Krark decks to oblivion, try to pick up that free win, and then just hope to ride it out for the next two rounds. Fair enough. I feel like <laughs> if you know that there's... Yeah, uh, maybe one Krark deck per round isn't enough to, like, counterpick very effectively. Yeah. Probably not, yeah. Uh, cool. Um, I think that actually about wraps it up for this episode. Uh. Nick, do you want to let people know where they can find you, where they can find Monarch, what they should be looking at soon? Yes, I, I shall shill. It is time. It is time for maximum shill. You, you can shill. find the you can find Monarch every Saturday streaming the Major League Commander at twitch.tv forward slash Monarch Media. You can find us on Twitter at Monarch Me uh, at Monarch Media TW. I think uh, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Discord. Uh, we are on all of the platforms. Um, you can find me on Twitter and on Discord, just sort of browsing and perusing and top fouring tournaments on occasion. And of course, most importantly, stay tuned for Oktoberfest.
We uh, tickets will be going up soon, either shortly after this is released or before this is released. Um, we got tons of space, tons of really cool guests, tons of really cool stuff. It'll be in downtown Philadelphia, November 18th, November 19th, and yes, and November 20th. So it's 18th through the 20th of November in downtown Philadelphia. So make sure to come to Oktoberfest. Both of you are, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll make the track. On it. All right. You better. I'll be mad if you don't. <laughs> uh, oh, no. <laughs> the wrath of Nick. Uh. Um, See, well, the thing is, is that I know how much I know how much Trans Canada flights cost. So I know that you're never going to come to Toronto to <laughs> to take any action on your anger. Uh, uh, I have a layover in Toronto on my way back from Tier One. How long is the layover? One hour forty seven minutes. All That's right, I'm fine. Fight. I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, joking. Thanks so much for coming on. It was a blast. Much appreciated. Thank you. Um, and that does wrap it up for this episode. Uh, if you guys would like to reach out to us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can contact us on Twitter at Into the North Pod via our email at Into the North Podcast at gmail.com or on our Discord server. The invite which for link can, found, can be found in the description for this episode. An extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work towards improving the quality of the podcast. If you too would like to become a patron, we are at patreon.com slash into the north podcast. Another way you can support us via TCG player affiliate link. Anytime you want to purchase something from TCG player, if you use our affiliate link, which is in the description, a portion of your purchase goes towards supporting the podcast. Thank you, as always, to the band Vox Cadre for our lovely podcast music and to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya.